First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 is where we are. So if you have a Bible, flip on over to First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. This summer we've been digging through the, the book of First Peter, just walking straight through it. And today we're in First Peter 4, 12 through 19. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we have some in the seats here. Just grab that, use that, and then take that home and, and keep that. That's our gift to you. But First Peter 4, 12 through 19. Today we conclude a series within the series that we've been going uh, through for the past few weeks on suffering. Ever since chapter 3, verse 8, we've been talking about suffering. Suffering to bless, suffering to understand, suffering to serve, and today, suffering to, to worship. And we need to think about how, how can we, when, when suffering comes upon us, and it will, how can we respond in worship? How can we glorify God when, when times get tough? Instead of doing what Job, his wife, encouraged him to do. You remember what she encouraged him to do? She said, how long are you going to hold on to your, you're going to hold on to your integrity, curse God, and, and die? You remember that? You can either do that, or in today's passage, Peter's going to tell us instead, here's what you can do is, is you, can, you can worship. And so that's what we want to look at uh, today. And, and today's scripture is uniquely applicable in our time. I hope you've been up with, with current events because we have brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world out in the east who are suffering great persecution right now under ISIS, which stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and, and Syria. These are jihadists who are leading a great persecution against religious minorities. And I want you to understand that the Christians have always suffered. All throughout history, Christians have, have always suffered, in particular directly because of their, their faith, but I believe that this is the worst that we have ever seen in, in our lifetime. Just this past Thursday, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Chuck Hagel, said uh, that the, these people from ISIS, they marry ideology, uh, a sophistication of strategic and tactical military prowess. And then he said, this is beyond anything that we have ever seen. I mean, it really is beyond anything that we have ever seen. And so we cannot overlook the persecution that is taking place right now because we're not there and we're here and we're so used to seeing things on TV and just not really realizing that it, it, it's very real. And so we can't remove ourselves from that. In fact, let me give you a scripture. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3 says this. It says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And so we need to hurt with them as members of the same body, the global body of Christ, as though it's our arm being broken, as though it's our back being lashed. And we need to pray for these people as though they're our own family members, as though they're our own children over there being hurt, and pray for relief, first of all, that if God might give them relief, he would do that, and then also pray that God would use it like he did for the recipients of this letter here, First Peter, and that is to spark a great spread of the gospel. And so... We're going to pray for them as a church. I want you to write that down if you haven't been praying and remind yourself to pray. Now, let me remind us that in First Peter, Peter is directly speaking to Christians who have been scattered all across Asia Minor, and they are suffering, right? And their suffering will only grow as they receive the letter and time goes on. History will tell us that they enter into this full-on attack of Christians, July 19th, in the, eight, the, the year AD 64, there, the, the, the major global power of the day, Rome, the city was burned. It was this slaughtering of fire. Rome had these 
really tall, wooden, apartment-type buildings. They had very narrow streets that were not so conducive for quick evacuation. And there was this amazing fire, and the fire burned for three days and and for three nights. And they kept trying to get control over the the fire, but it just kept breaking out again and again and again. And, And the Romans initially blamed the emperor Nero, he was their own emperor because he had this obsession with building. He was this megalomaniac, this, this guy who was just consumed with his power and building and showing off his power. Simultaneously, he said that he didn't like the aesthetics of the city, the way that it looked. And so he used the great fire as an opportunity for a renovation of the city. He watched from this nearby tower, the city burned, and it says that he played a fiddle or a lyre, and so he played his instrument while he watched. He watched the shrine of Vesta go down, the temple of Jupiter go down, all these little gods that they had made up go down, all of their, their homes go down. Everything went up in flames, and many, many people died, and countless people were left homeless. And people were understandably completely, completely upset and completely ready to, to, to get revenge. They were embittered. And, and so Nero found that he needed to blame it on somebody, and so he determined, I'll blame it on the, the Christians. And before thousands, Nero would, would publicly blame the Christians for the fire. Now, this was a, a brilliant political move for, for, for Nero. As I outlined a, a few weeks ago, there was already this growing hatred for the, the Christians, and people were looking for more reasons to, to hate the Christians. If you remember, we talked about how Julius Caesar was the, the, the first Roman emperor. He deemed himself the Roman emperor, and he was elevated to deity status by the people. They said that when he died, the star fell from heaven. And, and Julius Caesar um, was, was this uh, man who, who just himself was looking for power and for status. He then had this adoptive son, Caesar Augustus, who, who thereby claimed, if he's my father, then I am the, the son of God. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, it says, no, I'm the son of God from the foundations of the world. Well, you, you can understand that that didn't sit very well with the Romans. And so they were already very embittered towards the Christians. Christians also, under the command of, of Christ, partook of communion or, or the Lord's Supper where we, we eat the bread to represent the body of Christ nailed to the cross, to the tree, and we drink the wine that represents the blood that Christ shed upon the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And so people heard about this, and, and they weren't allowed to participate in those Christian gatherings because they themselves weren't Christians, and they called them love feasts. And so people's imaginations on the outside started to run wild about these feasts, and they, they accused Christians of, of cannibalism. I mean, they're eating flesh, and they're, they're, they're drinking blood, and people began to say that they were eating babies in there, and they were, they were eating Gentiles in there. Like in the, the, the book of, of Romans, uh, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss, which was common practice for there, and of course there they, they let their imaginations run wild uh, again, and, and so they started to envision, okay, in those gatherings, they're greeting one another with a holy kiss, and so they were thinking these are sensual meetings, orgies of types, and so people just looked at the Christians as this crazy group of people. We hate them. They're, they're, they're awful. They also hated Christians because Christians divided families. When one person came to faith and the other one didn't, well, there was now division in the marriage, which was very taboo in, in that day, and, and, and so the other thing is, is that Christians also spoke about the fact that the world would one day be judged by fire, and so, of course, the Emperor Nero is, is very brilliant in saying, see, right there, see what they did? They are self-fulfilling their, their own prophecy. And he blames it on 
the Christians. And, and all of these embitterments towards Christians together help excuse Nero and bring blame upon the Christian and further hatred upon the, the, the Christians. It was a really tough time for the Christians. History will also tell us that there were a set of judges who were ready to acquit the Christians, but they were overrun by this intense anger and hatred towards the Christian, this desire for revenge. And this is the beginnings of a full-on campaign of persecution against the Christian. It became more than just Nero's ploy. It started to become policy for the emperors. And Christians were used as human torches covered with tar or pitch and set ablaze. For Nero's garden parties, they were wrapped up in animal skins, and Nero's dogs used them as toys. They were objects of hatred, hung on crosses. They uh, were lynched. They were stoned. They were racked. They were lacerated with hot knives. They were penetrated on the horns of of bulls. There's 200 years of this, of them literally living out what Jesus said when he said, take up your cross and follow me. For them, that was a a very literal thing. Becoming a Christian was a a death wish. And so as far as we can tell, this letter was written towards the end of AD 64, just after the the Great Fire, which explains why Peter will say here in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. I mean, it sounds almost prophetic, huh? When he says, don't be surprised, the fiery trial, when it comes upon you. That's historically what will happen, is they have a fiery trial that comes upon them. And now, this is our fourth week in a four-week look at suffering. And today's instruction will essentially provide us a summary of what's been taught. How are you going to get through your faith, with, with, or through suffering with your faith intact? And I want to show you just four truths for the next little while together from Peter Uh, really ultimately from the Lord through Peter on surviving suffering. And I want to give you four really important truths that I want you to to really latch on to from Peter. Here's the first one for you. And that is we have to anticipate suffering. We have to anticipate suffering. Look at verse 12 with me if we can. Again, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I, I mean, I don't think there could be a more clear verse than that right there, huh? I mean, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it will come upon you. When it comes upon you, don't be surprised when when it gets rough. I mean, how many of us have been guilty of looking at the television, listening to television preachers speaking about how Jesus wants to bless you and how he's going to give you health and how he's going to give you wealth and how he's going to give you money and he's going to give you the home and he's going to get you out of debt and he's going to do this, this, and it's just not in the book. I mean, it's just not in the book. On the contrary, 1 Peter 4.12 so it's complete opposite of that. Or some more examples. At the end of John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, the world hated me, they will hate you. And then in John 16 at the very end, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, it says, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Can you give me those last three words? Will be persecuted. First John chapter 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Hates you. I mean, can it be more clear? It can't be more clear. It's not strange that our world hates Christians calling us intolerant 
bigots. On the contrary, it's strange if they don't hate you. We're in a strange season of history where in our country for the past few hundred years, there's not much persecution, but it is going on all over the world, and we're in a strange season. It's not strange. It's not worthy of being surprised when the trial comes upon you. We should be surprised that we're not getting a whole lot of physical persecution today. And let me say this. If you haven't taken heat for your faith, chances are, one, you're a newer Christian, so you're relatively new, or two, you're flying under the radar. You're living undercover Christian faith. You're seeking to avoid making waves. And I'm telling you, that is not what the Lord wants for us. I mean, even outside of the Christian faith, as you look throughout history, anyone who would make much of an impact at all made waves and people did not like them. People thought they were a little bit crazy, a little bit over the top. Hey, simmer down. You're a little bit zealous. What did Jesus say in in Revelation? He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm makes me want to just spew you out of my mouth. You need to either proclaim Christ and you're going to make some waves or don't proclaim Christ at all, but it's that fuzzy, warm Christian middle that is really confusing because it doesn't really reflect the, the scriptures. We need to go full on for Christ as he calls you to. But know that when you do, fiery times may come, will come. Now, let me be clear. Just because fiery times are, are virtually guaranteed in the scripture doesn't mean that we go seeking it out. Be kind of clear about that. I think that's important. I've met guys who they read these kinds of passages of Scripture, and it seems as though they're seeking out some persecution. Peter says, don't be surprised when they hate you. Therefore, I need to go hard enough that I make people hate me, is where a lot of people kind of go. Like, I need to, I need to be rough around the edges, and, and people should hate me, right? It's almost as they're trying to get people to hate you. Listen, these Scriptures aren't a license to be a, a jerk. They're simply a warning to us as, as Christians that some people's hearts have been made soft to the Spirit of God, and they're going to be glad when you meet them with the gospel. But many other people, the gospel rubs, rubs them the wrong way. And the gospel says that there is one way, and his way is Jesus. People don't like that at all. So know that it's, it's coming. Know that it's coming if you're really going to live full on for Christ. So I told you last week, Becky and I were celebrating our 10-year a wedding anniversary, and we were celebrating down in Mexico, and we went on this ATV ride through the, the jungle this time last week, and we were stopping and jumping in these, you know, these lagoons and zip lining and doing all kinds of fun stuff, snorkeling through caves, and, and we were riding the ATV, and Becky's on the back, and as we're cruising along, she just starts hitting me. I'm like, come on, 10 years of marriage, you're, you're going to start beating me right now? This is a celebration. She starts hitting me, and uh, I, yeah, I might have been driving a, a little bit crazy and drifting, you know, and trying to get air and all that kind of stuff and whatnot. And so she's hitting me. She says, Josh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And so I pull over. I'm like, what's the, the problem? She's like, you drive like a maniac. I said, that's what you're supposed to do when you have an ATV or a rental car, right? You, you drive like a maniac. That's, that's the whole point, right? And, and she says, yeah, I know, but you know what you're going to do when you're about to whip around a turn. I have no idea what's coming, so I can't brace myself for it. She's like, I'm getting flung around back here on the back of the ATV. You know, she really was, and I was just, you know, having fun, and she's getting flung around, and, and, and Peter says, I'm telling you, I want you to know what's coming. I'm not going to, like, whip you around. You know, I want you to know what's coming, 
It's going to be hard. Do not be surprised. This is your warning so that you can brace yourself, so that you can prepare yourself. You can get prayed up. You can study the scriptures, arm yourself with the right scriptures so that you can be ready because it is coming. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Consider the times when when life is light as seasons of preparation for when life is heavy. So if right now you're saying it's not really all that bad right now, well, this is a season of preparation because it will be difficult. Beloved, he tells them. He's, he's exercising pastoral care. I love you. Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you, he says. To test you. Psalm 66 verse 10 says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is Tried. And so what God does in his goodness is he doesn't waste your hard times. He lets those times be a time of, of purification for you. Like silver or gold, when it's going to be purified, it gets heated up to remove all those impurities. God uses those times of, of great difficulty as a time to, to purify you and, and, and to get you ready and to get you clean and to weed all the junk out that you're making your God, like comfort or money or health. He says, no, Christ alone, Christ alone. Christ alone. These things will come and they will come and they will test you. So know they're coming. And use it to anticipate your, your suffering. As this verse is for you to anticipate suffering. Now the next one, moving a, a little bit faster, is we need to worship in our suffering. And this is so important, worship in our suffering. Look at verses 13 through 14 as he continues on. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Well, that sounds contrary to how many of us typically respond in suffering, doesn't it? It gets difficult, it gets tough, and do we say, God's blessing me right now? No, we say, it's a blessing when God gives me money so I can get that car I want, or that's a blessing when God gets me out of debt, or that's a blessing when God gives me a child. Or that's a, and those are blessings. But he says, you're also blessed when the, the difficulty comes your way as well. God's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to be strengthened and to made, be made stronger. I'm giving you an opportunity to identify at a greater level with your Lord. Again, Job's wife said, Job, just curse God and die. And the scripture here is saying, no, 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 rejoice. Praise God for my suffering. And so whenever suffering comes your way, you have a choice to make. Will you whine or will you worship? Will you whine or will you worship? Some of you are going through some tough stuff, so I don't want that to sound trite and insensitive. I, I mean, I know you guys well. A lot of you are going through some tough stuff, but you have to make a conscious decision. Am I going to start whining and complaining and shaking my fist at God like Job's wife encouraged him to do? Or am I going to keep worshiping, even heighten my worship in, in the thick of it all? Peter says, rejoice. How are you going to respond? Are you going to rejoice? How are you currently responding for those of you who are enduring difficulty right now? Notice he says, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Some translations will say, to the degree that you share in Christ's sufferings. Now, do we share in Christ's sufferings to the same degree as, as Jesus? 
I don't think we've ever been nailed to a cross. It may or may not be our future. I'm, I'm doubting it. We've never lived perfectly undeserving of death and then been murdered for sin. So we don't suffer necessarily to the degree, the same level as Christ did, but we do suffer for doing what is right, and that's what Jesus did. He did what was right, suffered for righteousness. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, verses 10 through 12. You remember that? Really important. He says this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for doing what's right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what's he saying? He's saying when you are persecuted and people badmouth you for your faith, when people revile you, maybe are physical against you, or your, your job won't give you that promotion because of your faith, whatever it may be, or because you're committed and you're not going to give up your, your time of worship on Sundays, whatever it may be, he says you're, you are blessed for doing what is right. Rejoice and, and, and be glad, he says. One of the reasons he says is because why? Because you're in good company. Those prophets who went before you, he says you're in good company with those guys who were also persecuted. He also says, let me remind you that your reward is not here on the earth, your reward is where, does he say? Your reward is in heaven. And so he says, you, basically, you have a choice before you. You can either suffer for a, a fixed period of time while on earth and then enter into eternal glory, heaven, or you can avoid persecution on earth and you can enter into eternal suffering because you've rejected God's gracious gift of forgiveness and restoration and life through Christ alone. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a difficult decision. Suffer for a little bit here, eternal glory. Avoid suffering here, eternal suffering. The Bible's pretty clear that that is the decision before us all. The reward is in heaven. The reward is in heaven. And so we can worship for that in the midst of our suffering. We can identify with Christ. We can know that we have good times are coming, whether on this side of the grave or on the next, but they are coming. And so while we're here, we suffer, and we find great joy in the midst of our suffering. We can continue to worship. We make that choice in the midst of our suffering. Here's the the third exhortation that Peter will give us. He says this. He says, basically, he says, reason in your suffering. In other words, I want you to exercise reason in the midst of your suffering. Or it's okay to ask, why is this happening? I think that's a fair question to ask. Why, why is this happening? What's the reason for this happening? Look at verses 15 and, and 16. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But again, let him glorify God, worship in that name. And so he says, okay, verse 15, you can suffer because you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or a meddler, or verse 16, you can suffer as a Christian. As, as I think through, through life and, and as I think through the, the scriptures, I really think there are generally three kinds of suffering that we will we'll see. We will have suffering for being a Christian, suffering for being stupid, and suffering for being human. 
That's kind of how I see it. For being a Christian, for being stupid, and for being a human. So suffering for being a Christian is the kind of suffering that's been in view throughout this entire book letter to, to people scattered in Asia Minor. Suffering for being stupid is when you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, which is all of us at some point in our lives, or a, a meddler. That's what he's, he's talking about here. When we suffer the consequences of doing dumb things, right? Anybody ever done that? I mean, I could go back and just, we don't have enough time. I could just sit here and just tell you all the stupid things that I did. You're thinking, come on, Josh, give me one. I, I won't. Um, too prideful. Suffering for being stupid and you face consequences, you suffer the, the consequences. Peter says, don't suffer in this way. If you're going to suffer, suffer as a Christian. Well, here's what we can do. We can ask ourselves, is there a way that I can avoid what I'm going through? That's an okay question to ask. Is it, I need to end this relationship that leads to pain over and over and over again? I'm just being stupid, going back into the same pattern, the same relationship over and over and over again. Am I being kind of dumb, getting my nails done and paying big money every single week and I'm broke? I'm suffering financial pain because I'm not making great decisions, right? Suffering the consequences. Or, or maybe it's I need to stop a sinful practice that is leading to my, my harm. You don't blame that on God. Well, God's testing me. No, you just need to make better decisions, right? That's kind of the suffering for being a murderer, or thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. It's just suffering for making dumb decisions sometimes. We all do that. So when you're suffering... Don't quickly say, God's testing me. First say, why is this? Could it be me and my bad decisions? Sometimes it's just us being stupid. Am I lying? I think that's, I think that's the truth, right? And then the next one is suffering for being human. See, sometimes life gets rough because life is rough, right? Sometimes just because you're a human, it's going to be hard because we are Part of the human race, God's special creation, the, the creation of a God where he says, this is very good. All the other creation, good, 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 good. He makes Adam and Eve very good. And then we turn from him in sin. And he says, the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And so our humanity is, is, is broken. And we've been suffering ever since when sin entered into history. Just as God promised, you will surely die. I call this kind of suffering, the suffering because you're a human, it's just the normal wear and tear of life, right? We all suffer that, whether you're a Christian or not, we all suffer that. You have a car accident, total your car, somebody gets hurt, you, you get sick, your body starts to, to break down, cancer, friends die, family members die, children die, financial issues come our way, you lose a job, a relationship comes to an end, Suffering because you're breathing. It's suffering because you're a human. Because we live in a fallen world and we can hope in the fact that God says, listen, here's the deal. One day I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eye. So you don't have to endure this with no end in sight. You got yourself into this mess, but I'm getting you out of this mess. But there is suffering just for being alive and being a, a human and being infected with sin as we all are. And so we need to ask, why might this be happening? We need to exercise reason. We need to pray, God, please show me why I'm 
suffering right now? Could I be making better decisions? Is it happening because I'm being faithful to Christ? Rejoice in that? Or is it happening because it happens to all people? We see people die. We go through pain. Ask that question. But exercise reason in the midst of your, your suffering. That's very important, as Peter tells us. Now, continuing on, he, he gives us 17 and 18. Let's read this. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will, become, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so we're going to suffer as Christians. He says judgment will come upon the household of God. Now he's talking about suffering, not suffering that is punitive for God's people. He doesn't punish you. I don't know if you know that or not. But God doesn't punish you. Who did he punish instead? He punished Jesus. So when you're suffering, it's not God saying, I'm getting you back, you're paying me back. No, God doesn't punish us. We're not paying God back. Jesus paid the price. Instead, the Bible tells us he doesn't punish us. He what? He disciplines us as sons. He loves us, and so he disciplines us to to correct behavior, to strengthen us, to, to purify us, but not to make us try to pay him back to the level that we offended him. We, we cannot do that. Parents, I have three kids. If you're a parent, we have to parent under this example of, of God. We need to get this principle. We do not punish our kids. We discipline our kids. When my kids disobey me, I try to, to immediately tell them, listen, you're not just disobeying me. Ultimately, you're disobeying God who called me as an authority over you. So you're not just sinning against mom and dad. You're sinning against who? Against God who put me in charge as an authority for your care. And so you're sinning against an infinitely holy God. It's an infinitely unrepayable offense, no matter how small it is, because you have sinned against an infinitely holy God. And so your time out is not you paying the price for your disobedience and your sin only jesus pays the price for your sin and your disobedient your time out is simply helping train your mind disciplining your mind that you will respect mom and dad and you will respect god that you will talk to us appropriate it's not punishment it's discipline we need to get that we need to understand that when we suffer it's not punitive it's god helping us training us discipling us Jesus paid the price for our sin. And so he clarifies that here, right? He clarifies it. He goes on and, and says God's purification comes upon Christians through suffering. He says, but for those who have received the gospel or the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the outcome is not the same, is it? Those who have, have, have received Jesus Christ their, their outcome is eternal glory, but for those who have not, it's eternal damnation. He then quotes Proverbs chapter eleven thirty one. He says this. He says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he's pleading here. He's pleading, saying, listen, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation to be made right, I'm calling you to, to do that so that you can have God's wrath, punishment laid upon Christ in faith and trust in Christ today. And be what? 
he says, and be saved. Okay, so anticipate suffering, worship in your suffering, reason in your suffering. Here's the last one that, that Peter gives us. Verse 19 is, is rest in your suffering. In the midst of your suffering, you can rest in the Lord. Look at verse 19 with me. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So when you suffer, and you will suffer, when the fiery trial comes upon you, remember that as a Christian, your life is in God's hands, he tells us. So is life difficult? Trust in God. He's in control. He gives us that word entrust, right? That's a banking term. You've entrusted your life into his care, and you're knowing, you're fully aware that at some point down the road, you're going to reap the benefit like an investment. They then refer to, to God as the faithful creator, reminding us that he is the creator of all things, saying he's, he's powerful even over your situation. He's created for you an eternal glory, and you can trust him. In the thick of your suffering, you can trust him. You can rest in the midst of it and say, I know this is hard, this is painful, this is difficult, but I trust him. I'm resting in him. God is in control. God's in control. You can rest in your suffering. So here's, here's how we close. We close this way. Some of us in this room, no doubt, have never entrusted your life to God. And the call here is trust your life to God. Place faith in Jesus. Become a Christian. Some of us need to do that today. We need to say, okay, I get it. That Jesus has done for me what I've never done. He's lived perfectly the life I couldn't live. He died the death that I deserve in my place so that if I trust in his death as a substitution or exchange for my death and his resurrection, power over the grave in exchange for my inability to have power over the grave, then I can have life and life eternally. And I trust in what Jesus has done. I'm just entrusting my life into his care and complete faith. I want to follow him. Some of us today, that's what we need to do. We need to become a Christian. And so as we pray and as we respond in song, I encourage you to take time. The Bible tells you that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you in faith say, I'm giving it all to you, I'm following you, you will be saved. I want to call you to entrust your life to God. Others of us in this room, we have entrusted our lives to God. Yet, you haven't been responding very well in suffering. As you think through some of this stuff, you say, wow, I, I have not really been responding according to the scripture here in and suffering. And maybe what you need to do as we respond together is respond by just confessing. God, I confess that I have not responded well in the midst of this. Confess your sins to the Lord. He'll forgive you. And then some of us in the room, fully aware, are in the thick of it right now. Some of you, there's things that we have no idea, but you're in the thick of the suffering right now. And we're going to pray for you. And so I'm going to pray in just a minute and pray for you. But wherever you're at, you respond however you need to respond. You need to become a Christian and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Do that. Let us know. Some of us, you need to confess, I haven't been responding well, Lord. And others of us in here, we just need to just receive the words of the next song that we're going to sing. We need to receive the prayer that's going to be given for you, that you would have stamina and endurance in the thick of it. But we're going to pray for you, and then we're going to respond. So let me, let me pray. Father, Lord, thank you for the time that we've had together in your word. 
Thank you that it is so applicable to all of us. Some of us in here, we're suffering just because we're human, because we're alive. Loss of loved ones, broken relationships, financial issues, whatever it may be. You are not blind to that. May my friends be fully aware of that this morning. Whatever their situation is, may they know that you see it. May they be able to ask the question, why is this happening to me? Is it the goodness of God purifying me? Is it a bad decision? Is it just the wear and tear of life? Or would you give them some clarity? For those who haven't responded very well in their suffering, Lord, I pray that you would stir their hearts that they might confess to you what's going on. They might be open and honest with you and talk to you as Father, good Father. And Lord, for those who have never given their lives to Christ and trusted their lives to you, obeyed the gospel as he tells us here, that they might do that today. They would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And they would willingly enter into some suffering on this earth for eternal glory, that they would make the obvious decision. Would you make it obvious as your Holy Spirit stirs up their hearts? God, we know that what we go through is sometimes just seems unbearable. We know that you're with us and you're faithful. And as we close out and we respond in prayer and in song, we just have a very real sense of that. Encourage hearts as we respond. In Christ's name, amen.